You're listening to the Lompoc Foursquare Church Podcast. Pastor Bernie came to me, I, I don't know, about a month and a half, two months ago, and he said, hey, I'd like you to speak on this particular Sunday. And I said, okay, yeah, what are you speaking on? He said, the series we're going to be in is The God I Wish You Knew. Okay, that sounds great. What do you want me to speak on within that? And he goes, well, I want you to pray about it, and I want you to teach on what you really feel like the Lord is leading you to teach on. And I said, well, okay, well, thank you for that freedom. How do I know God? And what's interesting is that night, and I highly, highly recommend for everybody to do this today or tonight before you go to bed, go home and write down how you know God. See, Pastor Bernie's been doing a brilliant job on the God that he wishes you knew. See, it challenged me to write down how I know God. He, he's the God of provision. He's the God of healing. He's the God of wisdom giving. He's the peace giving God. He's Father God. He's Almighty God. And I just began to write all these things, and I'm looking at this list because the list just kept growing And then I was challenged to write down all the examples, or a few examples of each one. How do I know him to be a healer? Well, I remember when we laid hands on that kid in the high school. How do I know him to be a provider? Because I remember when we had no idea how we were paying the rent and putting food on the table, God somehow provided. See, how do I know him to be a father? Because when I was in desperate need, When my dad wasn't around, he provided that. See, I began to write all these things, and what I realized is my faith was increasing by huge amounts as I was reading and writing these things, and it got me super excited. And then there were things that I was like, God, I want to add to this list. And I would highly encourage you guys to go home and do that. So what, what do I know about God that I wish you knew? And today it's going to be the God of transformation. About 14, 15 years ago, I had a transforming moment with God. As I look around the room and the personal stories that I know, there are people in this room that would say we have had a transforming moment with God. But what I've learned about God is transformation doesn't happen overnight. As much as I wish that it was a one and done thing, it's something at least for me that I've had to struggle through and work through my entire life. I have friends that the moment they gave their life to the Lord, they were a completely new creation and they never even looked back. That was not me. If I can be blunt here, I I gave my life to the Lord, but then a few short months after that, I was also lighting up in the parking lot on the way out of church. See, I, I, I was starting the transformation process. So the God I wish you knew this morning is a transforming God, and I really hope that you will go along with me in this journey. One of the things that I believe about the Word of God is that it has the ability to expose our hearts. At the same time, it also has the ability to do surgery on our hearts. And then at the same time as all of that, it also has the ability to heal our heart. And so that's what I'm hoping this morning, is that we would bring some things up, that we would expose our hearts, that we would allow God to do work in our lives, and then at the same time also bring healing and allow us to walk in that healing. Is that okay this morning? Okay. 
So anyway, when you get into the Old Testament and you start reading, you see plenty of stories throughout Scripture that talk about transformation. In fact, you see a guy by the name of Abram who has this experience with a God that they didn't even know exists, speaking to him out of the sky. It was a transforming moment for Abram. Then later on, you have this transforming moment with a guy by the name of Noah who has to build this boat that he's never heard of, and God floods the earth. And then you move on, and there's this guy by the name of David at a young age. He was anointed to be king over Israel. That was a transforming moment. You have this guy by the name of Moses who was hiding in the wilderness and had a burning bush experience. That was a transforming moment. You get to the New Testament, and this guy by the name of Jesus enters the scene And there's a woman at the well who has a transforming moment. There is a woman who is caught in the act of adultery. She had a transforming moment. There were blind men. There were paralyzed men. There were possessed men that had transforming moments. There were religious leaders that had transforming moments. There were disciples that didn't quite have transforming moments. But later on did. There's a guy by the name of Saul, who later we know to be Paul, who had a transforming moment. See, I know God to be a transforming God. So it's interesting because when I think about this, there's a set of scriptures that Paul talks about in Romans chapter 12. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be there. The scripture will be on the screen, and we're going to park on this for today. As you know, I don't like getting really crazy. I like taking something that's very simple and diving into it and allowing it to work in my life. And so therefore, I am speaking today as something that I am currently processing and working through. This was not an easy message for me to prepare. Why? Because I realized all the things that I am not doing. So bear with me this morning. There's going to be some vulnerability. The God I wish you knew is a transforming God. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You see, Pastor Bernie last week talked about the God that he wished you knew was the God of mercy. See, if we're looking at Paul's writings here, one thing that we have to understand before we start moving into the transformation process is Paul says, if you truly understand God to be a merciful God, if you truly get that he is a God of mercy, your only response, not one of your responses, your only response is to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to him. See, I have a hard time with this verse Because this verse doesn't say a portion of your life. This verse says your entire body. I wrestle with this because I recognize that I have transformed my Sundays. And my Tuesday nights. But not a lot else. I may have transformed the radio stations in my car. Or maybe my Spotify playlists. But not much more. So God, am I presenting my life to you? Is it holy and acceptable? Yeah, portions. So the question is, 
are we presenting anything if it's just a portion? You see, what we learn about the Bible, especially human context, we believe sacrifices to be bad, right? Like we, uh, terrorist attacks, a lot of times they're unibombers, and they sacrifice their lives, or like there's religions in the Old Testament and the New Testament where they believed in these gods, and they would sacrifice their children for these gods, so we have this idea that sacrifice is a bad thing, and reality, when we look at Scripture, sacrifice was bringing the best to God, So I need to understand that this isn't about sacrificing me to the point of being bloody and nasty, but this is a good thing, that I'm wanting to bring my best before God. Holy and acceptable. But I have a problem with that because I'm now realizing that it's not entirely my life. That it's become portions. But what I love about what Paul does is that he doesn't just slap us in the face with truth. He goes on to give us kind of an equation for success in this. And when you move on in the scripture, verse 2, it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. You see, I am a huge fan of brainwashing. Early in the morning, the kids wake up at 6 a.m., I sit them at the table, and I have this old watch that I wave in front of their eyes, and I have them say a few things, so that way I get them in a trance, and then I can speak that I am the best father. Even when I'm disciplining, you will thank me. No, not that kind of brainwashing. You see, we are conditioned from the moment that we are born, if not even before we are born, um, things in this world. A girl can grow up in a home that's told that she is fat, she's ugly, she is worth nothing, so she creates eating disorders and mental disorders and addictions and different things and continues to hear those things. And every people group that she gets a part of, she hears those same things. And as she goes through high school, she's outcasted and she believes these things. So when she looks into the mirror, she believes those things. A young boy can grow up in a home where he is not manly enough, that he is not athletic enough, and he is Nowhere near good enough to carry the family name. In fact, waiting for the day that his dad will say, if there is a dad that will say that I am proud of you. And so they live this life and either become a bully or become bullied. And so they live this life. And then all of a sudden they get through high school and they enter into college. And by the way, if they hadn't made it big on YouTube yet, then they are a huge disappointment to society. Because I don't know if you realize this or not, but a lot of young people, this is their goal. So they get to college and they think, well, when I get done, I'm going to be making X amount of dollars when all of a sudden they're hit with the reality after they graduate that they're going to be flipping burgers in and out until they are able to work their tail off in the concrete jungle for them to be even get to the place of success. And when they finally get to that place of success, they've been so encircled with debt that they're never even going to see the light of day. And we tell them that the goal is to have the perfect family, to have a house with a white picket fence. Own your own business because, man, that's what it's all about. Have the freedom. (coughs) You see, these are the things that we conform to in the world. These are the things that I live by every day of my life. Whether I want to admit it or not, I have conformed to the world. What Paul is saying is that we need to wash our 
brains. See, we need to fill it with things that are contrary to what the world is telling us. And if this is what the world is constantly bombarding us with, that I have to have this car, that I have to have this job, that my family has to look like this, the phone's got to look like this, life has to look like this, and hopefully by the time you are now, what, 75, you're at a place where you can retire, but guess what? You live in California, so you're not going to retire comfortably. And yet we still conform to these ways. But what Paul is saying is you need to renew your mind. But for me to renew my mind, that means I have to take time. Well, you know, we have this book that's all of God's words. And has plenty of words to have the power to be able to renew our mind. And a good Christian that I am will even stand here and recognize that that's what that is. But you know what's crazy? I want to gain everything that this thing has for me, but I want to give nothing up. A friend of mine a couple weeks ago, we were talking, um, actually he's a coach, a life coach. I was talking to him and he said, Scott, what's the biggest difference from where your life is right now to where it was five years ago? And I said, my time with the Lord. And he said, well, what's changed? I said, well, I have these three little children that by the time if we ever do get them to bed, I'm exhausted and I have no time. And he said, Scott, but if you really prioritize that in your life, won't you make time for it? Something that occurred in me when he said that, because I know this, I'm a pastor, I teach people on this all the time. So you think that I would be perfect at it. See, we try to figure out how we can fit the word into our life, but really what we need to be doing is trying to figure out how to fit life into the word. We gauge everything based on what the world is telling us, so we get to the end of our day or the beginning of our day, and we have no time, we have no energy to give it to the Word. And like if Proverbs 4, 20 through 22 is true, it says, My son, give attention to these words. Incline your ears to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. Why? Because they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. But if I truly believe the word to be that, then why is it not a priority in my life to where I allow it to renew my mind so therefore I am not conforming to the world any longer? And guess what? As I allow the internal transformation to take place in my life, now externally I am able to offer up a holy sacrifice that is pleasing and acceptable to God. The God of transformation. But man, I don't want to give up my video games. Some of you laugh, but man, that's a real thing for me. No, I don't spend 20 hours a week playing video games. But at the end of the night, when I want to relax, man, it's super easy for me to put on a video game. And in my mind, I think I play 20 minutes. Could it be Facebook? Could it be Instagram? Could it be Twitter? I don't do any of those things. A friend said, could it be your woodworking? That you're out there for hours on end? Could you just drop 20 minutes, 30 minutes? See, if I am purposeful and really recognize that I understand God's mercy, then I will do everything within my power to make sure that I am an acceptable holy sacrifice in his eyes. No, this isn't about works. That's not what I'm saying. It's that if I truly live with a conviction 
of his mercy, of his grace, then my only response, my only will in life is to present my life as a living sacrifice to him. You know, one of the things that I love about this writing is um, Paul actually uses this word. If you look at the Greek, it's metamorphao. What that word actually means is metamorphosis. I love this word. It's only used four times in the Bible. One here, one in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 that you need to read because it's a great follow-up to this conversation. And the other two times is when Jesus is on the mountain and God comes down, Moses and Elijah come out, and it says that Jesus was transformed before their eyes. You know what's awesome about this is that I recognize that Paul is using the same words. Well, when you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 through 18, it says that this transformation is about turning us into the image of Christ. And everybody is on a different freedom journey. And I love that. It's a freedom journey. We are not being held in by these parameters. It's freeing that we're on this journey and everybody's on a different journey, grace to grace to grace. It's a building block or a ladder that's happening in our life. That's the transformation process. But see, Jesus went through it. And if I recognize that when God sees me, he sees his son, then what better way and what better input do I need in my life to go forward and present my life as a living sacrifice. Here's the other beautiful thing about the word metamorphosis. How many of you guys believe that a caterpillar is in a cocoon and grows wings? How many of you guys believe that? Just show of hands. Is in a cocoon. Okay, so majority of the room, right? I am sorry to tell you that's not what happens. Again, we've been conditioned as children to read all those children's books. And so that's what we learn. We learn that in all things, kids, that it's true and it's right. And so therefore, a caterpillar is done with his life and says, you know, I want to look pretty for once. So I'm going to eat and get fat, and then I'm going to just grow wings. Like if you watch Bugs Life, that's what it is, right? What happens is a caterpillar enters the stage of metamorphosis. And what this means is that it builds a cocoon around itself, and the caterpillar completely dissolves into a soupy-like substance. There is no more caterpillar. This has baffled scientists for thousands of years. And so what takes place is a new creation is formed. The butterfly emerges and goes on to live its happy, beautiful life, stunning the world and everyone around it. This is the word that Paul uses. Jesus baffles Nicodemus in uh, John chapter 3. Well, one must become born again. Well, how am I supposed to do that as an old man? Am I to enter my mother's womb once again? And Jesus says, no, 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 no. See, you must be born of the Spirit. This is the transformation that Paul is talking about. I'm to be a new creation. But you know what's fascinating to me? I can sit amongst my Christian friends and reminisce about the good old days. I could talk about the times that we used to party and the times that we used to do these questionable acts. And we could sit and we process and go, man, those were the times, weren't they? I can live my life and continue to battle with the same thoughts and addictions 
that I have built up over the years and continue to process them, and I will continue to struggle with them because I continue to dwell with them. See, what Paul is saying is that we are to renew our minds. We have to do everything we can to wash our brains with his word because it's in those times when we start taking on the image of Christ where we start transforming internally but also physically to where now I can give my life over as a living sacrifice. We get so caught up in when somebody who gave their life to the Lord, all of a sudden is falling back into old ways, it's because we haven't purposed in our heart. We haven't been desperate enough to see that part of our life transformed. Why do I know that? Because there are areas in our life that will change. There will be areas in our life that you will be able to physically look at and go, yeah, that's different. See, here's the thing. When I was studying this, I asked myself the question, God, what looks different from when I gave my life to you, what looks different than before and what looks different after? Man, I've given up Sunday mornings. I listen to different music. The occasional bad word still slips out. You see what I'm talking about? Because there are areas in my life, I'm speaking personally here, that I'm not willing to prioritize the transformation. And so therefore, I will always come back to him and go, God, why has this not changed? And he's like, man, if you would just... Several years ago, I had the opportunity to, I was on staff, and there was a gentleman that was on staff, he was... He was in the prison system, I think, 20 years. He was a golden glove boxer in the prison system. The guy was awesome, little short Hispanic dude named Marcos. Loved this guy, but hated him at the same time because he had this nickname for me. His nickname was Pete. We're sitting down. I forget the name of the restaurant, and it was in downtown L.A. It was a house amidst all, well, it was a house amidst all these houses, but that's the way L.A. worked. It was this amazing restaurant ran by a family, and they served these huge burritos. And we were sharing a burrito, and he looked at me. And he said, do you want to know why I call you Pete? I said, yeah, I'd love it because I hate that word. And he goes, well, why do you hate it? Why don't you embrace it? And I said, because I want to know, are you referring to me as the guy who denied Christ? Or the guy that set forth revivals? See, I think that you are referring to the guy who denied Christ. And I like to think of myself as a holy guy. I'm a pastor. I teach the word of God. I would like to think that I'm the guy that's setting forth the revivals. And he said, you know, one day you're going to realize I'm not going to tell you today. I wanted to sock him, but I knew that he was a golden glove, and I was like, that would be a bad (laughs) sign for me. I loved him because we would always go to L.A. Kings games, and he had all this money. We'd sit like second row, and his favorite thing were the goons. He always called them the goons, the guys that fought. You know, I realized this week why he called me Pete. Ten years. It always set terrible in my soul. What I realized about Peter is that there was a moment in time where he was invited by Jesus to push him out in a boat 
and to sit there, right? So he met Jesus. He even heard Jesus. He was stuck in this boat while Jesus taught. Then he was invited by Jesus to follow him. Then later on, he even confesses that Jesus is Lord and Savior. That's a pretty good resume right now, right? He walked with Jesus. He saw the miracles that Jesus saw and did. He even performed some miracles that Jesus did. But then you get to the end of Jesus' life, and Peter denies Christ. I've met Jesus, and I, I've introduced Jesus to other people. I've even walked with him. I've heard him call my name. Do you know how often I deny him with my life, with my actions, with my thoughts? You see, the thing I learned about Peter is I don't believe that he was transformed by Jesus. Not up until this point. Because the very next interaction, if you were to go to John chapter 21 and read this, what you will see about Peter is after Jesus has come back to life, like amazing things, right? You would think like, man, I'm going to soak up every bit. Lord, let's go to coffee. Let's go hang out. Let's go, like, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. You don't see any of that from Peter. His response is in John chapter 21, you know what? Let's go back. Let's go fishing. The place where he was before he met Jesus. And see, it's not like here where I'd be like, hey, Dad, let's go fishing. You know, we get really excited. We'd pack up the car and we'd go to Mammoth Lakes and we'd sit there for hours catching tons of fish, figuring life's greatest problems within a fish and losing lots of line. Like, that's what we think, right? This is great. My beard's starting to cut in the way. And this is what we think. But really what this is signifying is Peter is saying, look, I know nothing better. This is how I know how to make money. This is what I know how to do. Let's go back to that. And so therefore there are other disciples that said yes to that. So what do they do? They show off their ability to be terrible fishermen once again. And I almost get this feeling of disappointment. Because Peter and the disciples catch nothing all night. And they see Jesus on the shore Peter jumps into the water, does everything he can to get to Jesus, because I know in that moment, in his heart, there is such disappointment going on. I'm no good as a fisherman. And in his mind, obviously, he was no good as a, a disciple because he denied Christ. And this is where I think his transforming moment came into play, because what you see happen is Jesus addresses him. And he says, do you love me more than these? Pointing to the fish. Do you love me more than these? Because when I called you, I called you to be a fisher of men, not a fisher of fish. Peter's response is, yes, I, I love you. And the second question, okay, well then do you love me? Well, well, yes. No, Peter, do you love me? I've heard pastor upon pastor speculate what was going on there. Peter denied Christ three times, so Jesus asked him three times. See, I, I don't think any of that stuff. What I think Jesus was doing is he was giving Peter the opportunity to allow his word to renew his mind. Because you see the third time that Jesus asked a question, you almost get this 
picture that Peter puts his head down. And he's like, Lord, I knew all the things to do, but I didn't allow myself to be transformed by you. And Jesus ministers to him. I've called you to be a pastor. I've called you to be a leader. I've called you to fish for men. You're not going to catch fish there because that's not what you're called to do. See, I need all of you. I don't just need you for those three years. See, I need you all the time. And so Peter allowed that word to transform his life. This was his transforming moment, in my opinion. Because what takes place after that is we see some of the greatest revivals come from the leadership of Peter. We see the church being birthed by Peter. We see churches all over the world named after Peter. Why? Because there was something that happened in Peter's life in that interaction. You see, I believe that as we begin, and as Paul is talking, as we begin to allow God's word to renew our mind, the transformation, the God of transformation power kicks in. And it's not a one and done thing, but it's something that we are working to every day. And we leave the former things behind us. We are a brand new creation. And as we allow those words to resonate in our minds, it gets into our heart to where we actually believe we are a brand new creation to where we don't sit and think about those things anymore, to where we don't waste our time with those thoughts anymore, that we don't have those conversations anymore. But now that we are concerned about glorifying God and being a living sacrifice that is holy and acceptable to him. So on your sheet of paper, there are some questions. Jeff is going to come out and he's going to play one more song. I want us to answer these questions truthfully. Like I said, the word has the ability to expose the heart. It also has the ability to do some surgery. I think that we've done a pretty good job of doing some surgery this morning. Some of you don't want to ever see me again. I get that, and I'm okay with that. But see, here's where the healing part comes into play. As you begin to write your answers, honestly and truthfully, I want you to pray over these things. I want you to recognize in your life some areas that could use some more transformation. But here's the thing. I don't want you to minimize the transformation that's already taken place in your life because those are things to be grateful for. Those are things to be thankful for. And we need to glorify God in those things. But we also need to be moving glory to glory, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 that we are constantly moving in this transformation process. How do we do that? We acknowledge where the work needs to be done. If you don't have a bulletin, you don't have notes, there are some ushers that are in the back that didn't know this was happening, but they will get you a bulletin because I believe in everybody having one of these things. So for those of you that are like, I don't want to deal with the paper, guess what? We get to deal with the paper. So Father, we thank you for this time this morning. I know you to be a transforming God. In, in fact, I know you to still be transforming my life. It's far from perfect. God, I want to be able to surrender my life over to you in such a way that you are radically changing it, not portions of it. God, I pray that in this moment we would take this seriously and, and we would come before you and say, God, what areas of my life still look the same from before I gave my life over to you. 
Lord, what areas have changed? What, what are some things that, that have been great, and how can I continue in those? And Lord, help me to allow those areas of transformation. Teach me how to get your word in my life more. Maybe not the once a month or once a year thing, but maybe it's a couple times a day that I'm putting scriptures on the windows or the doors or on my computer at work or whatever that looks like, God. But I know that there are some areas in my life that need transformation. And because I believe you to be a God of transformation, I believe that we will see the good work being done. And then in 10 years and 20 years and 30 years, I will be better because of it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to Lompoc Foursquare Church's podcast. To find out more about Lompoc Foursquare Church or to watch us live online, please visit mylfc.com.